Welcome to Creative Kaleidoscope. I'm your host, Russell Dunn, and on this show, we cover everything under the umbrella of art. Everything from painting, to photography, to movie making, and much, much more. On this episode, we have some special guests for you, but first, we're going to jump into one of the paintings that I'm currently working on. So we're starting out here with a blank canvas, and I have used a Tupperware and a spray paint cap, and I am quickly spraying them to mark where I am going to use my planets. There I am doing the first layer of paint, the second layer of paint, choose your colors, you know, as you would like. Then, uh, you know, shake your cans, make sure your cans are nice and shook up. And remember, the bottom layer is going to be the most predominant layer. Crinkle up your newspaper. That's just a dollar store cheap paint. It's kind of nice to add around the planets because it doesn't come out too thick. And now I'm replacing my spray paint cap stencil. And now I am going to fill in the top of the canvas with the Rust-Oleum Semi-Gloss Black. It's a nice opaque black that covers things very nicely. And now I'm Hitting it double-fisted right now, the blue and the purple. And now I'm putting just a little bit of the highlights of the shine from the planets with the Rust-Oleum White, because it's a bit more opaque than the dollar store paints. And now I'm using a piece of cardstock as a stencil to kind of get my galaxy lines, if you will, and kind of work in that fluorescent Rust-Oleum paint, which will actually look very cool in the black light, which is why I like to use the, the fluorescent paint so much. And now I'm going to add some more color, adding green on top of there. The fluorescent green, Rust-Oleum fluorescent green. 
Now with the fluoro paints, they do come out in a straight line, but it's nice to use the cardstock to get the lines that you want. And I still want those planets to shine just the right way. And now I'm adding just a touch of the white into the galaxy lines. And getting it just how I want it. Now the fun part. I get the white spray paint on my fingers, shake a little the excess paint off, and then just start flicking on your stars. I like to get them along the lines with the galaxy galaxy lines the best that you can you know you still want to get a nice random spray on there because you know they're stars and that now I'm flicking on some some glow paint some more glow-in-the-dark paint to make my stars glow in the dark now I'm adding the horizon basically with some rust-oleum black and we're going to go back to the studio real quick. Coming up after the break, I interviewed Jenny Risher at her Deciphered exhibit at the Detroit Institute of Arts. Stay tuned. Ah, low-budget movie version. 60s TV version. Early 2000s high school pseudo-adaption that eventually grows into the geek we all know and love version, yeah? I'm getting paid a lot of money to be here, so listen up. Watch the Geektainment channel on NewRadioMedia.com. It's geek approved. It's all about you, and that's the way we like it. Where you're going. What you do to stay fit. What you're eating. What you're thinking. And how you're feeling. Join the conversation at NewRadioMedia.com's Lifestyles channel. Stream the life you want to live. Deciphered exhibit at the Detroit Institute of Arts where she showcases Detroit hip-hop artists. Let's take a look. 
And we are back here on Creative Kaleidoscope, back again at the Detroit Institute of Arts and here with Jenny Risher. How's everything going, Jenny? Good, thank you for interviewing me. Yeah, no problem. And this is the Deciphered exhibit, which is your exhibit of Detroit hip-hop artists. Now, what inspired you to shoot Detroit hip-hop artists in general? Well, I started with a book called Heart Soul Detroit. I photographed in 2013. I photographed Eminem. And really, that was my introduction to Detroit hip hop. And because I photographed him for that book, um, I had a really good working relationship with his management, and I started shooting for him and just became exposed to the whole hip hop world here in Detroit and then nationally as well. And then I was invited by the Detroit Institute of Arts couple years after to do a show called Detroit After Dark and I really wanted to create a body of work that had never been documented before and I had noticed that Detroit hip-hop wasn't a genre of music um, that was ever fully documented so um, because of my relationship with Eminem it was easier to just kind of ask people that I had known like knew um, Royce to 59 and Mr. Porter Trick Trick like his circle of people and I started there um, and from that, I just, it just kind of spread out. Right. And you, you mentioned, you know, Eminem's circle of people. Yeah. Proof being one of them. And from what I remember, this exhibit is in dedication to Proof. Is that correct? Yeah. Well, I really wanted to dedicate the exhibit to Proof. Um, I didn't start off with that plan. It just kind of worked out because I noticed, like, throughout the whole project, Everybody kept telling me stories about Proof. He was a beloved, you know, MC, rapper, um, uh, label owner. Mm -hmm. He owned Iron Fist Records. So he was just a really beloved person. And everybody had a story about Proof. And it was something I never, like, asked them to say. They just, you know, they're like, Proof would really love to see this all come really believed that hip-hop was art so in the end I just thought like it would it was just appropriate to, to dedicate the exhibit to all right and in this picture here you've got super MC representing proof you know for him and from what we discussed with him he seemed like he was a really good friend too just a really all-around good dude yeah I mean that's the thing it, you know, I didn't know proof you know he passed away and I had a chance to meet him, but um, it just seemed like he touched so many people's lives very deeply. Um, Super MC was, you know, a part of his label, very good friend and ally, you know, and and he really continues like his legacy is just as far as you know promoting proof and working with you know his children and you know just keeping keeping the legacy alive. Very cool, very cool. Now, this is the second time that this exhibit has been extended, yes. which is really exciting. It is exciting. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think um, I think the work really, what I've noticed, and it's really exciting, I think the work really speaks to a younger audience. You know, like I see students come through here, and I think for them it's exciting to see, like, you know, um, landmarks or, like, Sometimes their fathers or mentors bring them to the museum. So I think 
that's exciting for students to see. So, and I, and I just keep noticing like a lot of students come through here, and you know, a lot of the groups they know, a lot of the younger groups, a lot of the older groups they get to know. So. So, what has your overall feedback been from the exhibit? You know, have you gotten a lot of positive feedback? I assume so because it's an amazing exhibit. Yeah, it's been overwhelmingly positive. In the beginning, I would say it, um, there was a little bit of backlash because um, some people thought that I should have included some people. Um, but, you know, really, like this. You know, I started from scratch. Right, right. <laughs> like nothing existed. Like I really had to do field research, meaning I really had to go out physically and ask questions and do the research because there's no books that have been written on Detroit hip hop. No like fully documented eras like the 90s or, you know, the 80s. So it was something I really had to start from nothing. So because of that, um, you know, one one person can only do so much. So what I tried to do is I tried to to do like the highlights or the, the high points right. within a timeline. You know, I started at the beginning, um, 1976, mm -hmm. really with George Clinton, um, and then you know to current day era. So I just did like the peaks, mm -hmm. you know, um, and the peaks for me were you know googling you know, uh, word of mouth on the street, you right. know, um, as much as I could possibly do on my own. And, you know, when you look through the book and at all the images, you really feel how authentic everything is and, you know, all the locations, the different Detroit locations and yeah. all around. Now, how did you go about choosing the locations of where you were going to shoot each artist? Well, I wanted the portraits to feel like the, the person I was photographing. So, you know, I gave them like three options. One option was, um, what kind of picture do you want to take? You know, is there something that, you know, you've been wanting to do? Um, second option was, um, you know, let's photograph in your neighborhood. Like, what, what tells me about you? Is it like the street you grew up on? Is it your house, like your recording studio? Or, um, and third option was just like my idea. Like, okay, I'm gonna, you know, <laughs> I'm gonna make my picture, you know, are you okay with it? And I gave them, I gave everybody that option. So I think because of that, um, you know, I feel like these portraits are uh, collaborative. Like I really work with the artists to um, make sure that they were satisfied with their portrait. I noticed, and so other people have noticed too, that what the artists are wearing in the shots are all, they fit very well with, you know, the locations and whatnot. Did you have a say in what the artists were wearing or did you just say, hey, show up with wearing whatever? Or? No, I mean, we definitely had that discussion for sure because I'm a um, advertising commercial fashion photographer. So all those elements are so important right. in the picture because the picture lasts forever. Right? Mm -hmm. So I, you know, made it a point to, to speak with the whoever I was photographing, okay, make sure you're on point, you know, as far as what you're wearing, bring some options. Other times it's, you know, they just showed up in whatever they were wearing and, you know, they're representing themselves. So I don't, you know, there's really not much I can do. Right. <laughs> so, but you know, generally for the most part, um, everybody took the portraits really seriously because they knew that, you know, these pictures were gonna be seen by hundreds of people, that they would last forever in an archive and a book. 
So, you know, people took it seriously. How is your overall experience, you know, being a Detroit native, shooting, or low Metro Detroit native, shooting Detroit artists, and then also having this exhibit in the Detroit Institute of Arts extended twice? How has that affected you? Has that been? I mean, it's been pretty incredible. I mean, I grew up in Mount Clemens. Mm -hmm. um, we would come here a lot for class field trips in high school. Um, I started photographing in eighth grade on a uh, after-school program. So I see myself in the students that come to this exhibit. Um, I was able to um, uh, be awarded a scholarship um, to go to the College for Creative Studies, so I spent four years on a scholarship at CCS. Um, being that it's so close to the DIA, I would often come here, you know, in the afternoons or just dream, um, get inspiration. Um, and now, many years later, I won't say how many, but um, to have a, a solo show here is pretty um, incredible. If other people who don't get a chance to come and see the exhibit before it ends, where can they find or where can they pick up the book Deciphered? Where can they score that? Well, the book um, is really great. We Actually, we did a limited edition run, so there's we don't really have a whole lot in circulation. Okay. Um, but the complete exhibit is in that book, mm -hmm. all um, 80 pictures. There's actually 100 pictures in the book. There's uh, an incredible essay by Ironside Hex. He's a, a manager here in the city, but it's his recollection on Detroit hip hop. Um, Grandmaster Kaz, he's one of like the, I would say, forefathers yep. of Detroit hip hop, which hip hop started in the Bronx. Um, I befriended him through this project, and I thought it was really important to have an original, you know, father of hip hop. Yeah, I saw of. his Instagram post yeah. of, of this exhibit, talking incredible. about this exhibit. That's awesome. Yeah. He's become, you know, become very friendly with him. Um, Nancy Barr, she's the curator of this exhibit. She, you know, wrote her account on what she's got to know on Detroit Hip Hop. So, I mean, it's just a really nice archived, you know, piece on this project. Well, Jenny, thank you so much thank again. You for, so much. You know, thank you so much. Thank you. Being on, on Creative Kaleidoscope. Yeah. It's been great. And we'll be back in just a little bit. It's all about you, and that's the way we like it. Where you're going. What you do to stay fit. What you're eating. What you're thinking. And how you're feeling. Join the conversation at NewRadioMedia.com's Lifestyles channel. Stream the life you want to live. Why are we here? What makes a person truly good? For those answers, you're gonna have to take a philosophy class. But if you're more interested in who would win in a fight between R2-D2 and a Dalek, watch Get It to the Geeks on Tuesdays at 6 p.m. on NewRadioMedia.com. What's going on in your neighborhood? They say it takes a village. Things. The things that are a testament to the old. And the things that are a testament to the new. Know what's going on in your community. Check out our community channel on newradiomedia.com.
low-budget movie version. 60s TV version. Early 2000s high school pseudo-adaption that eventually grows into the geek we all know and love version here. I'm getting paid a lot of money to be here, so listen up. Watch the Geektainment channel on NewRadioMedia.com. It's geek approved. Take a look and see how that painting is coming along. So now that we've got the horizon sprayed, let's lay down what will be, I guess, our ocean. So I'm laying down with the the deep blue there, and then covering it with the oasis blue as the second layer, and the white on top. This will give us a nice texture when we run across it with our fingers there, giving us the nice water ripple effect nice and smooth just real gentle across there until you get how you want it and now I'm just redefining that horizon again the rust-oleum black because it's nice and opaque and hit both sides of it because I want that horizon nice and defined on the night sky and now I've removed the stencils to reveal the planets couple little touches here and there if you see any exposed canvas or something that you don't like you can you can always shield with your hands and always wear latex gloves or whatever you know vinyl gloves you just it is such a pain to get aerosol paint off of your hands you can see here I'm working outside in the cold that little bit of a shaky hand here but in my spray paint cap there I have rust-oleum black I've got arthritis in my hand so don't judge the shaky hand just be happy I'm not your surgeon and right now we are I'm working on the tree working on the tree and just nice and easy as a as Bobby R. would say, some happy trees. Just nice happy trees here. Much love. Rest in peace, Bob. We miss you. None of this would be possible without you. We know that. Yes, yeah, so we're just working on the, uh, the palm tree here. Now normally I would let this dry and I would hit it with a nice acrylic paint or an acrylic marker to really get my defining lines better. But when it's a race against the clock, sometimes it's just easier to use what you got at hand. And what I had at hand was a brush and my aerosol cans and a few other things which you'll see like the paint guard that I use for the horizon I'm just uh, working in my my palm tree leaves here I 
you know, you can decide wherever you want to put the trees, but I like to I like to make sure everything is kind of balanced as much as it can be. But you know, it's your painting, do what you want. And you'll find the more and more you do these, the quicker you can do them and a lot more fun. They're a lot of fun. Especially if you're just looking to make something pretty. A little touch up there on the, on the water. those those palm fans defined and if they're a little sloppy like like these look right now that's okay because we're gonna you'll see here in a second we're going to define them a bit better with a palette knife and a palette knife is very key to paintings like this I mean, it's not a necessity if you want to let everything dry and work with different acrylics or different mediums after you get your background down, but if you want to work the detail in and cover up the sloppiness, if there is sloppiness, you could have a really steady hand, unlike me, and make a perfect tree every time, but... I'm battling cold and a little bit of arthritis. Young man with arthritis. Just trying to finish out these uh, palm leaves here. And now before it dries is when I want to hit it with the palette knife so I can really move that paint easily and make my defining lines on the tree trunk, on the palm fans, which you'll see being worked right here. And it really gives that tree, that definition you're looking for, and it really crisps it up. And just work that, work the, always work the tree. I like to work the tree the way it grows, from, from bottom to top. fans and kind of put your accents there where you might think the light is is hitting the leaves and just nice and easy just work it with the tip of the palette knife and you want to use a metal palette knife I never suggest really using the plastic palette knives they just don't work as well on the canvas as metal do. A lot of people will do these on poster board or different types of, uh, of, of things like that, um, but I really prefer the stretched canvas. And they just look better on the wall too, in my opinion. And it saves you some money at the frame shop.
After the break, we're joined by award-winning special effects and makeup artist Dan Phillips. He joined us here at the set at New Radio Media. Stay tuned. low-budget movie version. 60s TV version. Early 2000s high school pseudo-adaption that eventually grows into the geek we all know and love version, yeah? I'm getting paid a lot of money to be here, so listen up. Watch the Geektainment channel on NewRadioMedia.com. It's geek-approved. It's all about you, and that's the way we like it. Where you're going. What you do to stay fit. What you're eating. What you're thinking. And how you're feeling. Join the conversation at NewRadioMedia.com's Lifestyles channel. Stream the life you want to live. watching Grindhouse Films with his father at the Bel Air Drive-In Movie Theater. Let's jump right in. Sit there for me. Right. Um, and basically, it was kind of, uh, went from the school of hard knocks trying to figure out how they do some of this stuff. Right. So, yeah. So it started right off the bat with makeup and things like that. Yeah, it, it was like kind of funny. was drawing or anything, you just weren't writing your makeup? Yeah, well, it was because when I was a young kid, um, I went to Catholic grade school. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, I don't know if you've ever been to Catholic grade school, but it's kind of a big deal to graduate from eighth grade. Right. You know? Yep. And so we went as far as, as having a yearbook. And in eighth grade, it said, what do you want to be when you grow up? It said, I want to be a special effects artist. So very I knew cool. that young that I wanted to do this in my career. So. Well, that's yeah. awesome. Thanks. Yeah, yeah, very rarely do you uh, know what you want to do at such a young age. Yeah, yeah. It was, uh, it just hit me, man. I love the, I love the medium of makeup. I love the medium of all art forms. And to do this kind of work, you know, you have to have, multiple skill sets you know you have to right. be able to paint and to be a mold maker and all these different things you know especially here in Michigan um, and so that really in intrigued me right you know so I really wanted to learn as much as I could about it cool yeah cool. well coming up you studied under Dick Smith correct? Yeah, I did. the Oscar winner yeah Dick Smith unfortunately passed away a couple years ago right. but uh, yeah, I started under his guidance and Dick Smith if y'all don't know who he is he did uh, The Exorcist, Raging right. Bull, Godfather, mm -hmm. Amadeus, Taxi Driver. You name it, he did it. 
And um, so it was a real honor to have his guidance kind of guide me through this crazy world and, and show me how to do this stuff properly. So. Right on. Well, you've got some pretty uh, awesome stuff under your belt, too, I'd say. Some pretty good credits. Yeah, I've been very fortunate, you know, to be a guy in Michigan that um, I'm a union makeup artist and I've been able to travel and do do quite a bit, you know, throughout the industry. Um, yeah, I've been on some really big budget films and I've been on some really low budget films, you know, and, and um, they all have a really good place in my heart uh, for different reasons. Right. Um, but some of the bigger stuff, you know, I was able to work on the Hobbit trilogy. Right. And, you know, Oz the Great and Powerful and Real Steel and all them kind of films. So, you know, those are really big and epic films that I, I really enjoyed working on. Very cool. Very yeah. cool. Uh, so how was that, like, working with, were you working, like, with Peter Jackson Actually, and all that? Did you get a chance to interact with? You know, people like yourself that's in the industry that kind of know a little bit about the ins and inner workings of the movies. Mm -hmm. I mean, I could tell you about it, and you wouldn't believe it. I mean, it was just a gargantuan setup, you know. I've seen Peter Jackson a, a few times walking to and from set. I didn't really have any direct interaction with him. You know, um, there's about 13 or 14 um, senior prosthetic artists on that show that I was one of them. And... Um, you know, we all had our own dwarf to do every day, mm -hmm. and I did an orc a few times when I was there as well. Um, but, uh, you know, he was there every day. I seen him walking to and from set and, and so forth. And uh, But it was, I mean, $700 million. You, you got right. you, you to understand it's a pretty big deal. Right. So. so you've got several, like, well, not more than several. You've got a lot of makeup credits under mm -hmm. your belt and special effects credits. Now, what yeah. would be the difference in art <clears throat> as far as special effects and makeup? That's a good it? question. Well, one of the things that I wanted to do as a um, makeup artist in Michigan, mm -hmm. I always wanted to say, you know what, to be viable to, to producers in Michigan, I wanted to leave no stone unturned. So I learned beauty as well. And so I'm, I've been on films where I've done nothing but beauty and corrective makeups, mm -hmm. where there was no need for special effects. Right. Um, because let's get it out in the open. I want the work. I right. wanted to feed my family, you know, so um, I wanted to be able to do the, the bride and do the zombie that kills the bride. You know, I want a producer to come and look at me and say, you can do all everything for me. And that's kind of, I was like, a, I wanted to be like that one-stop shop, you right. know, and um, out in L.A. it's a little different. You know, out in L.A. there's so many effects houses and so many different people that it's almost impossible to do both. You right. know, you're either, either an effects guy or you're a beauty person or a corrective person. Right. Um, in Michigan, because of the small amount of people that we have doing this kind of work here, you know, I wanted to be one of those people that, that the producers can come in and, and get the most bang for their buck. So that's how I did it. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. For sure. You also teach. Yeah. And you do tutorials and mask. What was a mask making seminar? Yeah, that, yeah. That well, you do? yeah. What I did was, I um, mean, you know, I have my own studio, right. and um, basically, I, I I thought at one point that there was, and there still is, um, there's a need to teach some of these young people in Michigan the proper way of doing things. You know, I see a lot of these, and nothing against anybody that's gone to these other facilities. I see a lot of these schools that teach these special effects courses and stuff, and the person that teaches them, you know, works at the local haunted house. Mm -hmm. You know, they don't really have the skill sets needed to teach the proper way, right. you know. Um, I've been doing this for 20-some years now. And, right. And, um, you know, I've been all over the world doing makeups, and, um, you know, I know what they're looking for. And I know the skill sets that are going to be needed, and I know if whether you're going to stay here in Michigan and try to make a run at it or go out to L.A. or Georgia or wherever the incentive is kicking at, the point, at that time, 
you know, I know what those those effects houses are looking for, skill set wise. Right. So um, I thought, why not? You know, why not try to give back? You know, one of the things that Dick Smith always did was give back. You mm -hmm. know, because years ago, you know, back especially in the eighties, excuse me, in the eighties, special effects was kind of like it was kind of secretive. Right. You know, they didn't want to give a lot of their secrets out. Right. You know, and. Uh, I never looked at things that way, you know. Dick Smith was always a giver. He always mm -hmm. would show, you know, you know, he always felt that for this craft to get bigger and better, we have to be able to give it to the next generation, you know. So that's kind of in my little way, that's kind of what I try to do. You know, try to give people that are hungry and that really are are passionate about this an opportunity to to not have to go out the way to LA to learn just the same skill sets here right. in Michigan. Well, that's so that's that's so great because, yeah, like you're saying, you know, you hear so much about people keeping their secrets to themselves, so yeah. they become, you know, yeah. oh, this guy or this. Which, guy. by the way, is ridiculous. Yeah, but it is what it is. You, you know, know and, you... and you know, we as artists have to understand that, you know, we're just doing this art form for a short time. Right. You know, you're a young guy, and you're going to realize when you're my age that it's such a short time. Mm -hmm. You know that, um, you know, you have to. Uh, able to give to that next generation let them take the baton you know absolutely it's kind of part of it absolutely you know? so. so out of all the projects that you do like that you end up doing would you say you have a preference on like big budget independent or is it just well, like you're saying each well to be honest with you um i like i said in michigan i do i do everything from small budget stuff to big stuff mm -hmm. and um i like the small budget stuff and I like to be budget stuff. Don't get me wrong. I right. mean, you, you know, you want to hire me to do Batman, I'll do it. You know, right. but um, the small stuff, I get a lot more um, control over the, the my creations. Right. You know, doing stuff like Hobbit and you know Batman and all those stuff. Oz, all those looks have been predetermined well before I even hold a brush mm -hmm. in their in their trailers. So you know, they basically will come up to you and say, "Here's here's a box of the looks that we want, and you can't deviate from them." You know. Um, there's something fun to say about being at Home Depot the night before a gag and trying to figure out how to do it. You know, right. that's, that's fun for me. Right. You know, um, nerve-wracking, but fun nonetheless, right. you know. And uh, so I have, I have you know, uh, my heart is in both the small and the big, you know. Right. So, yeah. So having your creative freedom, though, is, oh, I is mean, always What about you? You would like, you would love your creative freedom as well, correct? Right. Absolutely. I mean, that's, it's no different, you know. We're right. all, we are all in this trying to put our little point of view in something that's big, right. you know, and uh, if that means I can kind of, you know, design a character based on what I think would be cool for this movie, mm -hmm. that's huge for me, you know, compared to um, working on Hobbit where I get to work with the 13 Dwarfs, which is huge within itself, um, but it's already predetermined. It's very cookie cutter. You now know. you went. Did you go to out to LA for that? No, I was in New Zealand. Oh, New Zealand so you actually did go. To yeah, New I was All out right. there for wow. almost five months. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so it was a pretty big deal. Yeah. That's awesome. You've got an open house coming up. I know that. Yeah, I do. I, basically, what um, I, I'm trying to do is I try to do these these, and I call them internships, but they're basically courses you can take through my studio. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I wanted to do was I wanted to um, open my studio up to um, not only makeup artists but film people in general to come on down and check out what I have to offer and, um, you know, pass the word on to people that might be interested. Um, 
you know, and um, it's going to be, I think, Friday, I don't know the exact date. February 23rd. February 23rd, yep. yes, Friday from, from 6 to 9. From right? 6 to 9 p.m. Yeah. at the studio it's, yeah, in it's, Utica. And, and by the way, it, the studio is, I'm sharing a space with another artist for this open house. Mm -hmm. And um, the, the name of the producer is Eric Steele. He owns the studio. Great guy, mm -hmm. and he's going to have um, a bunch of stuff down there. I'm doing a live makeup demo on my daughter, mm -hmm. so it's going to be a really cool. I'm not going to give too much away, so you guys come down and check it out. Right. Um, but we're going to have lots of stuff to do. You can sign up for the course, uh, which starts in March. Okay. And um, you don't have to sign up for nothing. Just come down. It's it's going to be kind of a mixer, kind of like there's going to be people from the industry that aren't makeup people there. That's mm -hmm. fine. Anybody that wants to come down and check it out, feel free to come down and say hi. You know, introduce yourself. Yeah. Wonderful. Wonderful. Yeah. So I try to I try to do it so that you know we can all get together. You know I'm yeah. I'm a true believer. You know I, I, because I'm in Michigan and, and you know I'm all about keeping the work here in Michigan and trying to keep the work as much as we can here in Michigan. And I feel the only way we're going to do that is to really build a good, powerful, strong infrastructure. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and because you know I've seen it before. There, you only get one chance when these LA companies come in, and you better have the goods. Right. You know, and um, you know by by networking and, and Feeling, uh, feeling each other out as far as, you know, what our strengths and weaknesses, then we can give that LA company the best product. Right, yeah. right. Well, I was reading um, a little bit about, like, your tutorials uh -huh. and the instructionals, and um, the basic for makeup film, or makeup for film and television, and then you've also got the special effects makeup mm -hmm. and film for television. Yeah. Could you like do a little like the breakdown of the yeah basically the difference what, between those? Yeah, two? basically we, I I offer a couple different programs. Um, the one I'm offering in March is more of a um, internship. Basically, what happens is you come in, and I only allow five students, five or less students. So it's a lot of one-on-one -on -one training with me, and I do all the training. No one else. I don't have no one working for me. So you, I'm who you get, mm -hmm. and uh, you come in and basically um, I give you a project. And the project has a multiple different set of skill sets. And I do that, um, and I do the project right along with you. So you learn by doing the actual work. Mm -hmm. Anything you work, do in the studio, you keep at the end of the, pro at the, end of the, the eight, ten weeks, whatever you're there for. And um, it's a lot of fun. It's very intensive, I'm mm -hmm. not going to lie. Um, but I gear all my projects towards beginners so that anybody can do it. Um, I never leave no one in the deep end of the pool, per se. Right. You know? right. um, but... You know, it's about the passion. It's about really wanting to learn how to do this kind of stuff, you know. Um, I don't expect anybody to take any class that I take, that I teach, to be able to walk in my class and walk onto a film set. Right. You know, my, my studio is just a stepping stone. It's where you come to learn the processes. Right. Then it's going to be up to you to get good at those processes, you know. And um, so, yeah, it's, it's pretty involved. Um, I teach a couple different classes based on need. Mm -hmm. um, so I do a corrective beauty class also where I teach nothing but, um, uh, you know, teaching someone how to make someone look as though, you know, on a movie set, you know, the, the morning of the girl comes down the stairs and she's making breakfast for her family. You still have to make makeup on her, but she has to look like she's been sleeping. Right. You know, so we go over that type of makeups and those type of corrective makeups. Um, then I go over the more advanced stuff, which is the prosthetic design and stuff like that. We, we get into doing stuff like this, so, yeah. Yeah, so do you, so can you tell us a little bit about Actually, the yeah, these, these little, I brought, the, brought a few things in here. Um, this, guy, that, this guy right here was from a movie called Orion, and it starred, um, it had David Arquette and um, yep. a couple other people in the movie, and basically it was a Mad Max kind of film. 
and uh, he was our main villain that had to get killed. This movie had no money, okay? It was a low, ultra-low independent film, and uh, we knew that his killing at the end was going to be pretty important for the film. Right. So instead of, like I would do on a, any bigger budget film, make multiple sets of heads for, for someone to come and chop up, um, I said, well, how can I do this? I said, so I had a meeting with the producer, and I talked him into the, this big battle scene, letting, letting the hero slice his throat first, so I'm able to use the seam on mm-hmm. the neck for mm-hmm. a sliced throat. And then, um, and then yeah, so I slice the throat. Mm-hmm. And then another person comes with a big ax and kind of chops the head off. And I made the head, yeah, I made the head so, so it's, it's spongy it's, yeah. and it can fall on the ground and not get hurt. Yeah. And then we have tubing. So when your camera films from here up, we put clothing on it and stuff, pumps the blood, blood out of there, yeah. Nice. And then what they can do is, I thought, well, how can I do this to make this thing... Um, you know, able to do it again, mm-hmm. you know. So I, I implemented earth magnets inside here. Mm-hmm. So you just set it back up. The director can go action, and we can do it all over again. So do you, ca- do, you do, like, all the casting? This was a live cast. of The, the okay. name of the actor was, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie uh, Taken. With I have. Leo. Okay, remember when um, Liam Neeson goes over to Europe, and he gets that interpreter that drives him around? Yep. That's him. That's Goran oh. Kostic is his name. All right. And uh, he plays the main villain. He was kind of a witch doctor kind of guy. Um so basically, um, uh, I, I, yeah, it's kind of crazy. I yeah. took a life cast of his, of his head and um, re-sculpted the whole thing mm-hmm. and took molds and made it out of fiberglass. And uh, then we made silicone copies of everything and ran the blood tubing. And that, that process took about a week in the studio oh. to make that head from start to finish. Wow. Um, that's with about three or four people working on it. And that's just the head alone? The head and shoulders, the whole, right. the whole okay. rig. Okay. Yeah, the whole rig. Now, is this arm and part of that scene? No, the arm was from a different movie. That was from the TV series, um, Low Winter Sun. And I'll show you this. This yeah. What we had to do with this was um, the guy, a guy gets, um, so it's, it's kind of gross, but he gets killed in the movie. And, um, <laughs> and he gets, he has to get, the, the, the killer is trying to dispose of the body. The body's mm-hmm. in the bathtub. And so we have to, um, he wants to cut the hands and feet off. And so I'm thinking to myself, okay, how am I going to do this? So I made this, I took a life cast of the actor's arm, mm-hmm. I re-sculpted the arm, took molds of all that, but then I put a, a rig inside here that has resin bones, mm-hmm. and it has a, a pouch that I can fill with blood and put the resin bones inside there. Um, and so when, because in real life, if you're already dead, you go to cut somebody open, they're not going to squirt blood. Right. It's just not anatomically, anatomically correct. Right. It would drip out right. and hit the blade, but it's not going to squirt out. Right. Because uh, there's no pulse. Right. So it worked out pretty good because what he did was he started cutting this with a real saw and he hit that, the, the pouch that was basically a bag and it just, and it just kind of oozed out. Oozed and, out. you know, we have resin bones inside there and, oh, yeah. and uh, it's kind of gross, but oh, that's awesome. it is what it is. So Very so, yeah. cool. So that was used and that was a hero piece from that and that was a hero piece from Orion. And what I mean by hero is um, uh, the, the main piece that we use. There's no, there was no... Um, money nor budget or time to make multiple pieces you know um this was like i said for low and her son it was for a, a tv show and the turnaround time on tv shows are normally about four days right. they do an episode every five days mm-hmm. so they give me the script on monday and they want the effects product by thursday so it's like you know all hands on deck at the shop you know so so do you like making this sort of stuff or do you have a preference to makeup or, you know, making your own props and special I, effects? Or is it just kind of... You know, for me, 
um, you know, it is what it is. I mean, it's whatever feeds my family, right, number one. Right. Um, but I love all aspects of art. So this to me is an art form. You know, mm -hmm. um, you, absolutely. You know, it's 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 part of what I do. Mm -hmm. um, if I have my 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 way, I would be on set all, all day doing application work. That's what I love doing. Um, but you know, stuff like this, working in the studio, working in the shop with with like-minded artists, are it's great, man. And now, what about the zombie rat? You know the zombie rat. This this little guy, I got to tell you about this guy. This guy was in a movie called Detention of the Dead, mm -hmm. and it was such a cheesy little rat. The director, I don't know if you ever are you a horror fan at all? Uh, yes. Okay. Back bit. in the day, back in like the eighties, there was a movie called Critters. You remember that movie? I do remember. Where they, the little it balls would roll, they pop up. That and they actually were... gave me nightmares all when right. I was a kid. Like, well, those <laughs> those those little critters are so cheesy. They're just hand puppets. That's oh, all they yeah. are. And uh, the director and myself were having a meeting. He goes, "I want something really cheesy like Critters, like just some <laughs> little cheesy zombie rat, you know." And so I literally sculpted this like in a couple hours at my studio because they <laughs> they, they gave me the they gave me the um, the rat idea like on a Monday and it had to be ready by like the next Saturday. So I made this little hand puppet, basically stick your hand up in there and make the mouth move. Um, and it's a zombie rap because it's a comedy called Detention of the Dead mm -hmm. and the kids are trying to get out of the school. Imagine bre Breakfast Club meets zombies. Okay. That's what it was. All right. And uh, so one of the scenes is the the, the, the uh, the jock and the burnout kid are crawling through ductwork to get out of the school. And they turn the corner. They got a little flash, or a little lighter in front of them. They turn the corner, and there's this zombie rat. <laughs> and uh, you know, as I was bringing it to set, I'm like, "Oh, this is so bad, so cheesy." And um, they, they, we slimed it all up, and they lit it really cool. And they put a great uh, shadow along the, the 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 side of the zombie, or the side of the rat, so it kind of looked like it was in a, in the in the. In the in the in the uh, ductwork itself, right, right. And so then, uh, you know, afterwards it looked pretty cool. I was like, wow, this looks this looks all right, you know. And then they put sound effects to it and stuff, so it looked pretty cool. But he comes out at the very end of the film after the credits roll and does a little dance, you know, because they did some behind the scenes stuff. And anywhere I go, like if I'm at a comic con or something, and I bring this guy out. Anybody that sees that movie, they're like, oh my god, there's right. the rat, you know. Right. It's just like it's so funny, just the silliest little thing that we made like in two days, and <laughs> it gets the most attention. So it steals the show. So. Yeah, it's very cool. Yeah, he's fun. He's a lot of fun. It's like all of this stuff. Thank you so much for just oh, bringing man. all this stuff out. No worries. Know, talking to talking to us about all this and yeah um you know for anybody who wants to learn a little bit of the craft right yeah. they can yeah you feel to, free to give me an email yep. you know if i can give my email shout out yeah, yeah. Sure. uh danny d-a-n-n-y mm -hmm. lips episode frank l-i-p-s the number 13 at comcast.net and that's my direct email okay shoot me an email and uh if you're interested in learning this kind of stuff i'll be more than happy to guide you the best way I know how. Well, so. thank you so much. You've no worries, man. Thank you. Guy. This guy's the bomb. We're offering spectacular savings during the spring sales event at Parkway Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram. Great deals on our inventory of over 2,000 new vehicles, including our entire selection of Ram 1500 pickups with special lease deals on many of our best-selling models. Over 200 vehicles, under $200 a month. Early out on all lease payoffs of $3,000 or less. And Parkway offers an extra $2,000 for your trade-in. Only at Parkway Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram in Clinton Township, where you just show up, sign up, and ride.
Ah, low budget movie version. 60s TV version. Early 2000s high school pseudo adaption that eventually grows into the geek we all know and love version here. I'm getting paid a lot of money to be here, so listen up. Watch the Geektainment channel on NewRadioMedia.com. It's geek approved. up that painting so now we're back working basically on the second tree and this one's coming on along a little bit easier than the first one kind of got the feel of the brush and the paint on the first one and decided kind of how I wanted to approach the second tree now that first line was my my marking of where I wanted the tree height to be and basically the shape of the trunk and all of those little strokes were to define the trunk if you will and now we're adding in the palm fans again just nice easy brush strokes they don't have to be perfect you know Gives the tree some character, but you know, you want to have a nice balanced tree, nice balanced piece. And we're basically just going to repeat the same steps that we did on the first tree, on the second tree, except you can see the angles are a little bit different. And that's again to give it balance. The heights are a little bit different too, as you can tell, and that's again to give it balance being the the moon is a bit higher than the the pink planet and I always wear a, a respirator when I'm working with uh, aerosols as well a painter's mask is is fine but you'll still notice at the end of the day if you're not working in a very very well ventilated area or even if you are you will taste that aerosol paint your lungs and in your mouth I just it's a relatively inexpensive piece of equipment to own and if you're going to be working with aerosols I absolutely recommend that everybody get one and keep the filters fresh and clean the filters will last a while but you'll start to notice if you if you're working with a paint enough that you'll need to change them 
And now we're just adding some touch-ups here. Touch-ups on the ocean, just kind of making it how we want it. And we're just working, still working the bottom of the tree. And I like to get the, the sides of the canvas as much as possible too. So you just don't have a complete canvas unless you've, you've worked the sides as well. That's, to me, that's just a basic. Now, here's me, there's you using this, if you use your hands for the shields, just know it's not going to be a perfect line, but, and again, here, with a putty knife, you can get a perfect line and get a much, much better line. You really want to be careful how you're spraying and that you're not over spraying on the putty knife and that you're keeping the blade clean as possible because the paint will drip which you will see happen or if you get the wrong angle on it always test always test your cans and see how they're spraying and keep your cans warm as, as warm as you can not super hot but room temperature at least because cold cans just do not spray nearly as well and this is just to fix up the sea and get the texture just how I want it Again, I want to touch up that horizon a little bit. And you'll see here, yep, the paint's kind of dripping down that putty knife. So there's a little excess paint on there. I wiped it off. And then just some quick blasts up at the top to fix it. And I'm going to do that again to the other side. But that, hit it with the clear coat. If you want to rework anything that's dried or has dried too quick, just hit a little clear coat on there and you are able to work it with the putty knife again. And then the fire, a lighter and be very careful because you can light the table on fire. <laughs> but the fire seals the paint and now I'm able to actually sign the painting with an acrylic paint pen. I like to use the Posca brand acrylic paint pens. They're a fair price. And voila! You have the finished product. Or just about finished product. I like to let it dry and work a little bit, but that's the finished painting. Thanks for tuning in to Creative Kaleidoscope. I'm your host, Russell Dunn. Big thanks to our special guest this week, and be sure to tune in next week for a lot more fun stuff here on New Radio Media.